Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. All right. Our scripture reading for today comes from Jeremiah chapter 29, 1 to 7. And I just wanted to give a quick preface because I always have to remind myself what's, what's going on here. Um, Jeremiah is a prophet and he did his work about 600 years before Jesus came along. And he is writing to some of the people, the Israelites from his community who have been deported um, from Jerusalem to Babylon. So that's a little context. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Thanks be to God for this word. So my name is Brittany. I'm the pastor here. I was not here last week. Um, I, as you've heard, we've had some transitions in pastoral leadership in our four sites. And so I was at Wicker Park last week. And I got to tell you, Wicker Park is awesome. I had a great time. And I really missed y'all. And I'm so happy to be back here um, to worship with you and um, get, to, get to share in this sacrament. Thank you, Cece, for your testimony and um, for trusting us with your story and trusting this community that um, your story's not done yet and you went to journey with us. So, Before we start, uh, let, us say, uh, let us begin this time with prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us. Use each of us in building this vision for a community, for a people that you have. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, for those of you that don't know, and I have, I have wanted to try really hard not to like, force her into gender norms. 
So I have to confess that it was a little bit to my disappointment that last fall she said she wanted to take ballet. Um, But when I got over that, um, I decided that, we decided, I shouldn't say that I'm in charge, we decided that that would be fun. And so she got her little leotard and she started doing Monday morning ballet classes and she loved it. At the end of the semester, she, we asked, do you want to do that again or do you want to try something else? And she said she wanted to do it again. So because of our family schedule, we decided to do a Wednesday afternoon class instead. This meant that she would have new classmates. It meant it was at a new time, kind of going into the nap time. So if you, if you know children, how they come out of naps, sometimes it ain't pretty. Um, so for the very first ballet class this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to be a good mom, and so I rushed home from a meeting to, to meet at the community center, and Monica was going to bring her, and we were going to meet, and I was going to see this new class, and it was going to be awesome. But uh, things didn't quite go as planned, and she did not want to wake up from her nap. She didn't want to put her leotard on. She didn't want to go to the community center. It was just a hot mess. And so Monica and Ruby arrived at the community center about one minute until the class ended. (laughs) So it's a half-hour class. They arrived at 429 or something. Um, So the teacher graciously said, you know what, totally fine. Why don't you just have her come into the next class? And you know me, I'm cheap. I'm like, yeah, we paid for this class. This will be good. Uh, um, But also wanting to kind of get into the routine, like this is when we do ballet in the afternoon now. And so let's, that's really more the reason. Um, And so we we said, yes, Ruby, come do this class. This class was about full of about 10 uh, five-year-olds. 10 five-year-old little ballerinas running all over. You could tell they knew each other, that they had been in class the previous semester. And so Ruby spent most of the beginning of the class on my leg. She did not want to go participate. She, I could tell she was still tired from waking up from the nap, but she, I think she was a little overwhelmed. It was unfamiliar. She felt like she didn't belong. The, you know, the classmates were older. They knew what they were doing. Um, and so she just sat peeled to my leg. So I finally did what any good mother would do. Um, You be the judge. I leaned over and I said, Ruby, if you go participate in this class, we'll go to Who's Your Mama after this and I'll buy you a piece of pie. (laughs) And we'll celebrate your first ballet class. And so she jumped right up and... And went and uh, she asked me to come and she did some of the class stuff. But I could also tell that she still didn't feel quite in the right place. She felt like she didn't quite belong. She looked to the other girls. She hesitated. She wasn't in her element in the way that I've seen her in her smaller ballet class. Have you ever felt that way? where you're in a situation and maybe it's sort of familiar, but you still just don't quite belong. That something feels a little off, that you're off, that the situation's off, that you don't belong there. It is sort of a moment of exile. And now I'll say Cece's testimony spoke such a beauty into the harshness, the harsh reality of what exile can feel like, right? We have all experienced 
some form of exile at some point. Maybe it is um, an exile like Cece spoke of. Maybe it is an exile where uh, you, in, in order to worship in a church, you've had to give up your language. Maybe you um, speak Spanish as a, a primary language. And so you are, even though welcomed into the community, in this community, feel a little bit exiled because it is not your mother language. Maybe in the city of Chicago, while it's welcoming and amazing, you you feel exiled because you don't get your southern fried food and sunshine like you're used to if you're from Georgia or Louisiana. We all feel like we don't quite fit in in some places of our life, right? And so I want you to read this text knowing that one of the beautiful things about Scripture is that we can study it and and look at Scripture and see what was happening historically in that moment with this Babylonian exile, and we can also read it and know that it is speaking to us today. This is what scripture is about, right? It, it's, it, it, we understand what was happening in the, in the time of it being written, and we also see how it breathes word and reflection into who we are, into our present time. So in our scripture reading today, we see these words of Jeremiah offering hope to the people who have been exiled and speaking words of hope to us in our places where we are experiencing exile. See, the people of Israel have lost their identity. They have lost their understanding of who they are as God's chosen people. What's happened is the Babylonians came in and they plundered the city. They devastated the city of Jerusalem, and then they took people captive back to Babylon to work in servitude. They no longer know whose they are because the holy city has been destroyed. They are full of anger and sorrow. They are in the outer darkness, right? Listen to these words. This is from Psalm 137. Um, Many of you... uh, have read psalms before. This psalm, I still remember in one of the first sessions of the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly, we read this psalm as a troubling text. Like, what is this saying? So listen, listen to this song. This is a psalm of someone who has been placed into exile. Alongside Babylon's streams, there we sat down crying because we remembered Zion. We hung up our lies in the trees there because That is what our captors asked us to sing, our tormentors requesting songs of joy. Sing us a song of Zion, they say. But how could we possibly sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? Jerusalem, if I forget you, let my strong hand wither. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. Lord, remember what the Edomites did. On Jerusalem's dark day, rip it down, rip it down all the way to the foundations, they yelled. Daughter Babylon, you destroyer, a blessing on the one who pays you back the very deed you did to us. A blessing on the one who seizes your children and smashes them against the rock. Do you hear the anger and the sorrow? Do you hear their loss of identity because Jerusalem is no more. Do you hear how they've been battered and embittered? They have not only physically been exiled, but spiritually they have been exiled as well. 
Not only are they out of the city of Jerusalem, but they, are, they don't know whose they are anymore. They have lost their identity as God's people, God's chosen people. And so the prophet Jeremiah writes to these people, sending them words of encouragement. And as we reflect on the places of exile in our own lives, we know that Jeremiah speaks to us too. Instead of encouraging them to smash babies' heads against rocks, he says, plant trees, build houses, tend to your garden, produce food, eat it, marry each other, have children, let your children have children, live in this land, this Babylonian land, and flourish. And then he does the strangest thing. He asks them to pray for Babylon, to pray for the city that destroyed them, to pray for their enemies. Now we can see that in the New Testament we hear Jesus say that too, right? So this is not, this is a continual theme that we, we hear God telling us, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. See, this city, Jerusalem, the people of Israel would have sang songs of praise to Jerusalem, this mighty city, God's city. And now that has been destroyed, and Jeremiah says, that thing you were doing with Jerusalem, I want you to do that for Babylon now. Seek the common good of Babylon. Seek the shalom of Babylon. Seek the welfare and the health and the flourishing of life in Babylon. One of the ways that I think that we are exiled, even you may not think about it, but is how we approach life, how we approach our faith life and our work life and our play life and our family life. You all, I'm sure, have thought of your own sort of individual ways that you've been exiled, but I want you to think about maybe how we as Christians are exiled. And before I dive into this, I want to say, I want to give a caveat. I'm not trying to play the, like, martyred Christian card here. I'm not trying to say, Christians enjoy a great deal of privilege in the United States. And true exile, true physical exile, our Muslim brothers and sisters experience, so many people experience, and we are not that. So here, we are not truly exiled, okay? I'm not trying to be martyred. But I invite you to think about the way that we, um, we approach faith from this I'm sorry, I lost my place. I invite you to think about the way, though, that we uh, self-impose exile, okay? Uh, As Christians, we live in this world, and if we're honest with ourselves, if we are following the process of discipleship, if we are engaging in this world in meaningful ways, we don't quite belong. This world doesn't quite make sense to us, right? Because the gospel lens that we choose to see in this world is different than the powers and principalities and norms that we see in the world, right? St. Augustine says that when we are born again, St. Augustine is a, a theologian from the 5th century, that when we are born again, we get dual citizenship, right? that um, you become a citizen of God and you continue as a citizen of the earth, right? 
And so you live, we live in this dual reality where things in this world um, are what they are, and yet we see a new way, a different way, a better way. We call it the kingdom of God, right? It's working for the common good. And so we belong and we don't belong. Sometimes the way that we deal with this dual citizenship is, um, is to separate it, right? So what we do is we approach faith and work, and we just, we just completely separate them. And then we say, you know what? Uh, sacred is over here. Sacred is Jerusalem, okay? Sacred is this hour and a half I spend on Sunday morning, maybe the small group I go to. That's sacred. And then secular is Babylon, Secular is my work. Secular are the friends that I have relationships with. Secular is everything else in my life. Do you see how we do that? We try to, we try to hold this sacred-secular divide. But Jeremiah invites us to say, no, Babylon is sacred. All life is sacred. Everything that you do is to build up the body of Christ. To, to be part of the flourishing of life in this world, to work for the common good. So in this scripture passage, uh, Jeremiah is assuring them that the blessing continues, and we can rest in that promise too, that the blessing of God continues in all aspects of our life. So if we play with this sort of exile Christian thing, but not really, right? What's kind of exciting about that is we don't have to wait for the church for this hour on Sunday, for the hour, to, to do something. We get to be Christian missionaries in every aspect of our life. Everything that we do gets to be for the common good of humanity, for the common good of the people that we are around. Instead of a church... Uh, here, on Sunday mornings, the church is scattered out into the community, right? Everyone in this room, then, gets to be a missionary. Everyone in this room gets to be a missionary. If we don't play along those sacred and secular divides, if we say, everything is sacred. So, one of the best examples I've seen of this, actually, came out of a small group. So, I'll I'll own that. It came out of a small group. The Avondale small group uh, was talking a couple of weeks ago about the Flint water crisis, right? And instead of saying, well, what is the church going to do to help that? They didn't actually say this. I'm putting words in their mouth, but I'm, I'm telling you what they did. They said, we're missionaries, and we can do something about this. And so this group talked, and they said, you know what, we need to see, like, what is an action that we can do? What is, like, how can we hold people accountable for this? And how can we provide some clean water into Flint, Michigan right now, right? So they reached out to me. They reached out to some of the other sites. And they said, we're going to go take water up there because it's something we can do. So um, you can see uh, some of the people from the small group and, and others collected water. We did a water blitz collection last week, right? And you know what is so cool? One of the people from UVC works at Trader Joe's. Here's, here's, the, here's the sacred secular coming all together. One of the people works at Trader Joe's and said, hey, I'm, I'm trying to collect water for Flint, Michigan. Trader Joe's, my workplace, can you donate to this? 
Now, they didn't say, can you donate this for building up the kingdom of God for the flourishing of life? Yeah. <laughs> they said, can you donate to this? Because all of our life is sacred. And she saw that opportunity to come and, and help contribute to the common good. So last week, or not last week, so yesterday they drove up to um, Flint, Michigan, and delivered the water. And uh, I heard actually between the services that they're planning on doing it again. So if you didn't get your water donation, they're going to do it again. And the other thing that they did, as they were discerning where does this water go, I don't know if you've heard, but there's been news articles about how um, many people who are undocumented have not had access to clean water. And we know that if we're building up the kingdom of God, all life is sacred. It doesn't matter what sort of paper you have in your hand, right? And actually, because I believe God is always on the side of the oppressed, that like life is especially sacred. And so they looked for a church, Our Lady of Guadalupe, that said, we're not going to ask for papers or documentation. You don't need to have photo IDs. All life is sacred and all life deserves water. So they made sure to drop it off at a place that that everybody, even our, especially our undocumented sisters and brothers, have access to clean water. Isn't that awesome, y'all? Isn't that, I mean, you guys are just like, isn't that awesome? Missionaries in this world. Yeah. Missionaries in this world. This is what it means to, to be dual citizens, right? To see hurt and know that we are called, even... Even if it's inconvenient, they've missed the leadership conference, which they were really sad about. But they wanted to build up life for the common good in Flint, Michigan. So the question then becomes, well, Brittany, how do I do this? Like, how do I do this dual citizenship? Well, I would say, are you baptized? Because if you're baptized, I've said this on many occasions, uh, I credit it back to Scott Libran, um, who's a student up at Garrett now, studying to be a priest, but he said, Brittany, baptism is our ticket to ministry. Baptism is our ticket to ministry. It is what calls us to be missionaries in this world. Not just on Sunday morning, not just on a mission trip that we take, but in all aspects of our life. Baptism is what does that. Baptism is what, what reminds us, is, is what reminds us who we are. Remember when I said we're in exile, we forget who, whose we are. And in baptism, we are claimed as Christ's own forever. Forever. Nothing we can undo to to undo it, to wash it off. Baptism is a claiming of Christ's own forever. And it is also an initiation into this community to say that we are going to hold one another, covenant with one another. It is about the individuals. I lost Dick. Where is Dick? It's about the individuals being baptized And it's about this community that is coming together to witness it and say, yes, yes. We are better together as the body of Christ than we are separate. 